Anybody here begun their Christmas shopping yet? It kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Okay. How many of you wish you had gotten that all done already? Sometimes it's hard to know what to give people. Figuring out that perfect gift, especially for the hard-to-shop-for person, is tough. Over the years, the now-legendary Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog has uh, brought forth a lot of very unique uh, kinds of gifts. I thought it'd be fun to look at a couple of things in case you hadn't had trouble and had trouble deciding what you would give to your favorite few. Um, we'll start with uh, Daddy's Girl. Uh, Daddy's Girl would get uh, the uh, doll set. That's uh, uh, Madame Alexander's dolls for a year. You start with getting uh, 12 dolls, one for each month of the year. Uh, that are, of course, hand-carved, and then they uh, give you others one a month for the rest of the year. To me, it's kind of creepy, but, you know, I don't know. Um, but that's only, by the way, that's only $8,000 for those of you budget-conscious people. Okay, so then you ramp it up because mom is next, and for mom, they've got the day spa at, um, at Maison Lislie, okay, in uh, Paris, France, okay, where these way too uh, rich people are enjoying a day there. Uh, that's just a cool 60,000, okay, for those of you who have that kind of, those kind of means. But then we gotta think about dad, and in particular dads who play golf, okay, they've got a very unique gift. It is a uh, VIP week for four to the Ryder Cup. And those of you who are golfers will recognize this guy, this is Jim Furyk himself. Uh, great champion in his own right, PGA champion, and so forth. And uh, uh, you get private lessons with him and get to spend the weekend, and, of course, all these exclusive kind of uh, parties and so on and so forth. That's just $250,000. But for that extra hard-to-shop-for couple, the people that have everything... Uh, I thought this was uh, particularly unique. It's the yours and mine exclusive Rolls-Royce Coupe. Now, of course, if you go for the Lake Como blue color, it's only 400000 But if you really want to say I love you or whatever your message is to that special someone, you've got to go for the Saint-Tropez orange. That's just $445,000. Well, while I doubt that most of us here will choose to opt for any of these fantasy gifts from the Neiman Marcus catalog this year, I think it's fair to say that we all do care about giving people the right gift. And the question then comes, what is the best possible gift we could give someone? There are some gifts, of course, that money can't buy. And we're going to be talking about that, not just today, but for the next four weekends. We've given a whole month in our ministry calendar this, based on a series called Just Walk Across the Room, written by a pastor in the Chicago area, a guy named Bill Hybels. And I want to take just a minute at the start of today's message to introduce you to him uh, via video. Let's just watch this short clip. A lot of people I talk to get all freaked out when they hear the word evangelism. They think they have to master this massive amount of 
apologetic information. They think they have to have a different personality than God gave them. They think that uh, it's just some formidable challenge that they could never rise to. And so often I find that it's the, the short, rather accessible little steps or walks or deeds that you do. It's not giving long speeches. It's mostly about friendship. It's not backing someone into a corner. It's just kind of pointing to Christ in ways that are natural for you. And I think if more people would do just the small thing that they can do, take a walk here, stretch out an arm here, say a word here, live your faith every day in a humble and kind of genuine way, I think a lot of people would find that they would be uh, touching a lot more lives than they think. I'd like to look at a quote that sums up the main message of this book and what I'd like to share about today. Look with me together. It says, the single greatest gift Christ followers can give to the people around them is an introduction to the God who created them, who loves them, and who has a purpose for their life. Hey, just a little uh, informal survey. I just, I'm curious how you came to know Jesus and what was the main influence that made that possible. How many of you came because of some media, meaning like you heard about it on the radio, maybe TV, internet, anybody? Okay. How about uh, a crusade? Anybody here go to a crusade and find out about Jesus that way? All right. How about a pastor? Anybody that had a pastor that was very influential in your life? Anybody here? Okay. Okay, a couple of people. All right. How, how many of you uh, came to faith in Christ because of the influence of a friend or relative who is a Christian who took the time to get to know you? Let's look around, okay? This, this doesn't surprise me at all. I, 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 I really didn't know, but I, I knew that this would turn out this way because, you see, statistics have shown this to be true time and time again for decades upon decades upon decades. 75 to 95% of the people that decide to follow Jesus and then stick to it do so because someone cared enough about them to reach out to them, to just walk across the room, to explain them to them, excuse me, how they could get to know God too. But that begins with a choice, a choice on our part to just walk across the room. There's an outline in your bulletin. I want to encourage you to take notes if you would. I like the question that it poses there at the top, which is this. Are you ready to give the single greatest gift? If you are, you need to, first of all, be willing to enter the zone of the unknown. If you have your Bible and like to follow along, or maybe on your phone you have an app with the, with the uh, Bible app on there, uh, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a, a, a story familiar to many of you where Jesus encountered this lady from an area called Samaria. That's John chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 4 today. But just a little backstory first. Jesus and his friends were on their way from Jerusalem and Judea, the southern area of Israel, they were heading up to Galilee, where many of them were from. 
And that's about 50 miles away, and they were walking. So it'd be like the equivalent of walking from here to, say, Turtle Bay. Okay, if you can kind of get that picture in your mind. So the Bible tells us that while they were on their way, it was about 12 noon. Your scripture might say it was the sixth hour. That just meant 12 noon. And they stopped by a well to rest. Jesus was tired. He got tired. Let's look at those verses together. It says, now he had, he had to go through Samaria, which again was between where he was in Jerusalem to go to Galilee. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, there are all kinds of reasons that this conversation was out of the ordinary. Uh, number one, as the, the John, the gospel writer, gives us sort of in parentheses, Jews didn't hang out with Samaritans. It, they, it was just a kind of a cultural slash ethnic thing. Uh, they didn't get along very well with one another. And so, in fact, there were other, some other reasons this conversation was a little out of the ordinary. Usually Jewish people, when they had to go, say, either south to Jerusalem or north, in this case, to Galilee, they'd go around. Even though a straight line would have been a shorter trip, they would go around it because their moms probably told them, you know, don't go through that part of the, of the country when you're traveling. You, ever had, you know what I'm saying? Okay, You don't want to go into that neighborhood, all right? Furthermore, Jewish men didn't talk to women in public. They did in private in their homes. They're obviously their spouse or their mother or sister and so forth. But to talk to someone in public was very unusual. That was kind of a cultural thing of the day. But in particular, if it was a Samaritan woman. And then you add to that that this was out by a well and no one else was really around. Usually if a man was talking to a woman in that kind of a situation... Let's just say he had the wrong idea. Do, do you know what I'm saying? So there were all kinds of things that it would have mitigated against this conversation from even occurring. But what's interesting to me is that rather than keeping his distance, Jesus decided to engage this lady in a conversation because he wanted to get to spiritual matters. Why? Because somehow I believe that he could sense that this lady was lost. How many of you have lost something important to you recently? Like your keys. Anybody lose your keys? Oh, I know, your phone. And how many of you have that app on your phone that helps you, and if you didn't have it, you'd like, I don't know what I would even do. And you know that feeling you have when you finally find that thing that you were looking for? Of course, you know, to lose your keys, to lose your phone, or it's really kind of misplaced. When you, it's kind of an inconvenience, but how many of you have lost something more important than that? How many of you have ever lost a child before? I remember that as a parent, a young parent. Our daughter just, we were at a, get this, a July 4th picnic at a park. There were hundreds of people there. And we go, and I was going back and forth to the car to get the, the hibachi and so forth, and suddenly we looked on and I looked at each other. 
and you have that sinking feeling like, oh no. Well, it all turned out okay. She had seen some family with a dog and she just wanted to hug the dog and, you know, it was fine. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, you're frantic until you find the one you're looking for and then, you know, that feeling, that relief, that wonder. I think that's what Jesus was talking about in Luke 15. Like, we've got this on the wall over here. When you find that lost sheep, okay, you're rejoicing. It's a wonderful feeling. The problem is at least in my opinion, that the lost word of the church today is lost. See, we have a hard time. We struggle with the accepting the fact that people that we love and care for that don't know Jesus are lost. And I think sometimes the reason we don't just walk across the room to share our faith with other people is because we really don't believe or we don't want to believe that people who don't have a relationship with Jesus are not going to be with him for eternity. They're lost. Now look, all of us, including me, we all have friends and relatives that don't know Jesus yet. We have a hard time admitting to ourselves, wow, if this person doesn't come to know Jesus, they're going to stay lost. Now, I've heard people talk about this over the years. I've uh, read books. I've listened to uh, people talk about this. I've read blogs and different things where people essentially modify their viewpoint. They change their understanding of what the Bible is so clear about to basically say something to the effect of, well, the main thing that really matters is that people are sincere. But how many of you know that you can be as sincere as the day is long and you can still be wrong? Have you ever been sincere about something and later discovered, I was incorrect? See, look, if everyone goes to heaven when they die, regardless of whether or not they know Jesus, then why did he die on the cross? Hard question, but it's an important one to answer. The truth is, the Bible teaches very clearly in numerous places that only faith in Jesus will forgive our sins and cleanse us and enable us to experience eternal life. This is what the Apostle Peter meant here in this verse in Acts chapter 4, where he said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Do you care enough about the lost people that you know to reach out to them with God's love and his message of hope in Christ. And I'm a busy person. There are times that, I mean, I'm a pastor, but I'm also an administrator. I always have something to do, okay? And sometimes I, I have to admit, I, I find myself thinking, I got so much to do to stop and talk to this person or make a, a conscious decision to make an appointment with someone. I think, I, had, I got too much to do. But then I, I was thinking about Jesus, and I was thinking about if there ever was a busier guy, 
I don't know who it was, than Jesus when he was on the earth. Everywhere he went, people thronged around him because he could make the blind see and the lame walk. He could heal people. He could do miracles. He had to leave in the middle of the night to go out and just get some alone time. And yet, in spite of that, when he recognized that this woman that he happened to be talking to, that just came up to him, was lost. He cared enough to enter the zone of the unknown and reach out to her with the good news. You know, if you want to reach out to your pre-Christian family and friends, you got to be willing to enter that same zone of the unknown. But you got to do another thing, and this is point number two here. You need to be ready to listen to the Spirit's promptings as well. Now, back at the well, uh, Jesus had a moment of decision. Uh, it's interesting. Um, you might remember that the verse, that the final thing that this lady had said was, why are you asking me for a drink? You know, Samaritans, Jews, we don't hang out. We, we don't talk. Why are you doing that? Now, how many of you have ever been in a conversation kind of like that where, and by the way, when you read the Bible or even listen to somebody like me speak it, you don't know what people's tone is, do you? We can't hear it. We can imagine. But somehow, I wonder what this lady's tone was. Now, it's speculation, but I'm of the opinion that she had this kind of a, kind of a little bit of a snide kind of a tone, kind of like, why are you asking me for a drink? You know, Samaritans, Jews, we don't talk. Have you ever been in conversations like that where you get that kind of tone from someone and you figure, eh, you know, I was going to tell them to invite them to church, but I don't think they're really open to that. And so you stay there and you look at your phone. Do you know what I'm saying? Interesting. Jesus had a similar moment of decision right then. Well, let's look at this passage Jesus answered her and he said if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, it's interesting, rather than letting that woman's previous remark just shut down the conversation, he decided to use a very familiar topic, meaning just the fact that we all get thirsty and water quenches our thirst. We all understand that. But he used that to get into the, the related spiritual topic that we all have an inner thirst on the inside that only God can fill. And it must have triggered something deep within her because 
she essentially said in so many words, I'm interested in that. Well, at that point, Jesus, as only he could do, decided to address something that evidently had kept her stuck in her life, which was a moral issue. Uh, let's, let's look at this uh, passage together. He told her at that point, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. See, at that point, I have a feeling that she recognized, you know, to say to someone, I, I can see you're a prophet. I have a feeling that she realized that the person she was talking to was in touch with God. Now, by the way, not surprisingly, in, in the interest of time, I haven't put all these passages on slides to go through today. But not surprisingly, as Jesus put his finger on this moral issue that was essentially holding her back, she changed the subject. She ended up taking this issue of morality and shifting it over to spirituality. She said, well, you know, you Jewish people believe such and such, and we believe this, and da-da-da-da, and what do you think? Well, Jesus very tactfully and graciously brought her back to the central point, which, by the way, is something we can learn a lot from ourselves. I think the key thing that uh, we can learn from this particular part of the story is that if you want to be effective when you get to the zone of the unknown, you need to look for ways to connect with people to be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings in the conversations that you have. Now, we have no evidence whatsoever that Jesus attended, you know, Hebrew University where he studied the, you know, dialectic approach to the Samaritan culture or anything like that. But he had grown up in Israel, and though we don't know whether he had any dealings with Samaritans, he must have known enough about them to be able to enter into this dialogue with this lady. And I think the same thing needs to be true for ourselves. If we want to be effective, when we talk to people, we need to think about where are they coming from? What is their worldview? How do they see things? If you understand where people is coming from or where someone is coming from, what's important to them, how they think, even if it's just a little bit, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? I think when we know that, we can look for creative ways to try to get to know them and to lead the conversation into things that matter more than for just this life. I think this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he in Colossians chapter 4, spoke to the church people there. I like the New Living Translation here. Look at it with me. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. See, the goal here is to build bridges, not to burn them. 
You know, we've all seen stuff on TV or I've actually seen it in person a few times where these, uh, shall we say, misguided Christians, you know, are on some street corner with signs with really kind of nasty things on them saying, heathen, you're going to go to hell, you know? I mean, that's not exactly kind of the primary approach that I think that the Bible is encouraging us here. No. Like Paul the Apostle is saying, he's saying, you need to learn to be gracious to people, to be tactful. I think that's what Jesus did with this lady. He was tactful. If he was rude, do you think she would have stuck around? I don't think so. I like how Sir Isaac Newton defined the concept of tact. He said, tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. Isn't that the truth? Look, if you know someone who's interested in, I don't know, a particular TV series that you're into, or uh, maybe they're interested in family, and let's face it, there are a lot of people who really care about family. They may not go to church, but they care about family. Maybe you care about family too. Um, Maybe it's uh, sports. I like sports. So when I talk to guys that I don't know, sometimes I find out, I just, you know, having to hear them, you know, guys, what are they going to talk about, right? And so talking about sports, we'll talk about sports and various things. But what's the purpose for that? The purpose is I want to be able to meet them on some common ground, some similar, what you could call cultural touch points. Because, look, you can be a Christian and still like sports or, or care about family and so on and so forth. There's lots of examples of ways we can reach people. You know, for, for generations now, missionaries have looked for what's called, what they call the dynamic equivalent, which is just a fancy way of saying, figure out a way when you're communicating to someone who speaks another language, and how many of you know that people out there today speak a different language than what's in the Bible? Do you know what I'm saying? Find a way to communicate with them where they can understand. Because, you see, if you're speaking to someone in their own language, it makes it a lot easier to find a way to find some kind of vital connection where you can help them to understand that, you know, have you considered this part of life too? Listening to the Spirit's promptings is vital to this process. I don't always know exactly how it works. But I know that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he will lead you and guide you. And when the timing is right, you can turn that nature of that conversation to something relating to eternal value. But you know, besides entering the zone of the unknown and uh, listening to the Spirit's promptings, you got to just do the third thing, which is just walk. Back to this story, it's interesting because Jesus' disciples get back. They, come, they had gone into town to get food, and they get back. And, and you know, to me, this is, would have been a great moment as some filmmaker could capture this. They, it, the Bible tells us that they, they're wondering, why is he talking to this lady? But they didn't ask him that. It's sort of a parenthesis in the Bible, Okay. But they get their food, they probably had the plate lunch from the city of Sychar, and they're laying it all out, and they just tell Jesus, uh, Master, come on, let's eat. And, and, and he, he and just paraphrase, he basically says, guys, I'm not hungry for that. You don't get it, do you? you? 
You're caring more about food and I care more about people because people matter more than eating lunch. Lunch is okay, but that can wait. Right now, we need to think about people. But what's interesting to me, Jesus doing, using this teachable moment with his guys, you would have thought that they would have been the ones to get it. They'd spent all that time with Jesus, right? They'd watch what he had done. Certainly by then, uh, they would have gotten the idea, yeah, okay, people come up, and we need to help them learn about God too, and so forth. They didn't get it. They were clueless. But you know who did get it? This lady got it. Look, look at the verses with me. It says there, right as these guys were coming up, another kind of an awkward moment, they probably call, look at each other like, you know. But then it says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Even though Jesus' closest followers didn't get it, she did. Something had happened in that encounter with Jesus, as brief as it was, that so changed her that it compelled her to get up and walk back to the people that she knew needed him too. But just hit the pause button for now. And picture what might have been going on in this lady's mind as she headed back into that town. Somehow I feel like it was probably, on the one hand, she was probably really excited, motivated, because that's what God's spirit does on the inside of us. It gets us excited, propels us forward, okay? But on the other hand, I can't help but believe that she was just more than a little nervous, See, not only did she know hardly anything about Jesus, I mean, just look at the conversation. How long could that have lasted? Five minutes, maybe? But not only that, she was heading back into a town where I think it's fair to say she had less than a stellar reputation. Yet in spite of that, she walked back in there and told people her story. She risked a lot. She risked the possibility of being rejected or scoffed at. But she went back anyway because she wanted to share her story, her testimony. And what's amazing, really shouldn't be, I guess, but what's amazing is that the people that were there in that small town, any of you lived in a small town before? In that small town, those people not only listened to her, but the scripture goes on to tell us that many of them believed in God because of her testimony, her faith story. You know, when this woman uh, went to talk to, no doubt, her friends, neighbors, relatives, I like to think of it like, not evangelism, but frangelism, friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, Okay, when she went to tell those people those things, she didn't get hung up on the details. She didn't stop and say, can I get wireless here? I need to get organized before I, you know, I need to write all this stuff down and get it. I mean, I'm so OCD. I do that stuff all the time. I need to be very, very organized. But no, she didn't give in to that at that moment. She didn't worry about the fact that she didn't know enough 
or that she had a checkered past. She just shared how Jesus Christ had influenced her life. And those people must have realized that what she was experiencing was the real deal. Now look, whether or not your past was as graphic as this Samaritan woman doesn't really matter because you see, when you share your story, your testimony with other people, in the end, why are you doing that? You're sharing your story because it's leading to his story. Our testimonies, the focus of our testimony shouldn't be on our sin. It should be on our Savior. And that's what she did. And that's what made the difference. You see, God wants to use you to reach others for him. Sometimes I think we shy away from just walking across the room because we feel inadequate. We feel like, I'm too young. You know, uh, I don't know enough, or I'm too old. Uh, I have to unlearn stuff. Uh, or, you know, this is the classic. Okay? We don't even admit this sometimes, but this is the classic to me. It's where we think and feel like, you don't understand me, Pastor Jerry. You don't know how messed up my life is. And so we don't. Did you know that the prophet Jeremiah, when God called him, told God, I'm too young. God said, don't worry about it. You're going to be my chosen vessel. Abraham, who was almost 100 when God called him, tried to justify not really doing what God said because he said, you know, I'm too old. God said, no. Jacob, one of Abraham's descendants, was a guy that was a chronic liar. God used him. And Peter, the apostle Peter, who swore up and down that he was not going to deny the Lord, not only denied him once, but three times. Yet God used him mightily. Why? Because God uses flawed people. And that means you and me. It's not original to me, but it bears repeating. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Because you see, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, and that's you. The key is to just walk across the room and offer the single greatest gift we could ever give, which is an introduction to the God who created us and who loves us and has a purpose for our lives. When Larry moved into the dorm room there at college during his freshman year, uh, he met a lot of guys. Uh, and because Larry was into sports, he wanted to reach out to them. Um, he was trying out for the basketball team, tall guy, uh, and as a walk-on, and he used sports as a way to get to know the other guys because, you see, Larry was a Christian. Still fairly young in his faith, but he wanted to reach out. And in that process, one of the guys in the dorm room was also a freshman and also trying out for a sports team, not the basketball team, another sports team. And they got to know each other because they could share uh, in that way and kind of similar 
how hard it was, because see, this was an NC2A Division I program, and so to make it as a walk-on on a team was tough. Eventually, Larry got up the nerve one day to just walk across the dorm room hall and into the room of this other guy that he had gotten to know and told him a little bit about his story. And then as the conversation went on, the other guy kind of got quiet. And then he, off he said, you know, would you like to know God personally too? And he was kind of surprised, but the guy actually said yes. Now the thing is, is that the guy that said yes was still though kind of, kind of waffling, kind of going back and forth. He really didn't follow through. Larry had reached out to him again, invited him to some things, and the guy didn't come. He was kind of preoccupied with a number of other things. Larry eventually lost touch with the guy. What Larry didn't know is that about four years later, this guy actually did end up committing his life to Christ just after he had gotten out of college. And this guy not only committed his life to Christ, he actually became a pastor. The reason I know this is true is because that guy was me. I've Googled this guy, Larry. I can't find him. But I am forever grateful that God used him to reach out to me. You know, most people need numerous exposures to the good news of Jesus before they make a decision to follow him. I did, and maybe you were like that. As I've thought back on my life, I've thought many, many times, you know, about instances in my life that were kind of like a string of flowers on a lay that eventually linked together at the end to a point where I made that commitment to Christ. I think about my mother saying bedtime prayers with me, uh, going to Sunday school. My parents took me to church. I remember these, I don't even know who these dear ladies were that put up with my shenanigans in Sunday school when I was a kid. I think about friends I had, not just this guy Larry, but other people that I knew who I remember they were Christians. Books I read, talks I listened to, and lots of different circumstances that eventually led me to the place where I eventually made a decision for following him. But my question as I close today is, what about you? Where are you in your own spiritual journey? Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Some of you here today have already done that, and you're thinking about, you know, wow, I, I need to do what you're talking about, Pastor Jerry. I need to walk across the room and listen to the Spirit's promptings, and, and, and I need to just walk. I need to do that, and that's great. And I'm going to pray for you in a few moments that you could do that. But you might be here today, and maybe you've never actually made that choice and said, you know, God, today's the day that I want to cross that line. Did you know that Jesus, in the end, made the ultimate walk across the room, so to speak? The Bible tells us that he was in heaven. Everything was perfect with God, but he didn't hang on to that. He decided to become a human being. He came down and took on himself the form of not just a human, but a servant, and died a criminal's death so that you and I could get to know him. We're going to take communion. I'm going to ask the ushers to get the 
elements and bring them forward. And as we do take communion, it's a perfect opportunity for those of you who may not have made a decision to commit your life to Christ to do so. It's as simple as a prayer. Pray with me right now if you want to do that. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I ask that you come into my life to be my Lord, my leader, and forgive all of my sins. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take that ultimate step into our world. Help us, Lord, to never take that for granted. Help us to remember that you loved us so much to leave your circle of comfort. Help us to reach out to those who don't yet know you and share your love and hope. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.